morning. If you're a visitor this morning, we welcome you uh, to the Driven Church. And we pray that uh, the truth of God's Word will encourage you this morning. And that uh, you'll leave here glad that you made the trip to 100 Hobson Way. Uh, turn with me to the book of Exodus, as you can see up there on the monitors. Uh, Danny, would you turn the lights up a little bit? I want to see some of the people this morning. On up a little more, a little more. Oh, too much. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. Too much, too much. Um, hey, we're doing uh, this study through... Hey, what's up, brother? How you doing? You snuck in on me. I didn't see you come in, brother. And uh, <clears throat> we'll edit that out of the podcast. Uh, but, uh, hey, we're uh, in Exodus, uh, sort of in Exodus chapter 7. We're going to have to kind of jump back in the last couple of verses of chapter 6 because I've told you guys this, uh, you know, several times, and I'll kind of reiterate it as we go through the book of Exodus and other books in the Bible. Uh, chapter breaks were not inspired, and sometimes you'll run across chapter breaks that uh, are not in the best of places. You know, in the middle of a conversation, you'll see a, a chapter break, and so uh, that wasn't uh, necessarily how God had ordained it. That's how uh, we have uh, uh, structured uh, the, the scripture and translations uh, over generations and generations for uh, uh, tracking and recovery reasons and whatnot. That way uh, we can find where scriptures are and such. But uh, So turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 7. Uh, whenever you run a race, I don't know how many of you guys watch the Olympics. I love watching the Olympics. Um, but um, whenever you watch a race... And, and especially sprinters, uh, matter of fact, all real runners, except for this year. I don't know how many of you all saw what I'm about to refer to, but uh, uh, typically whenever you get uh, in the Olympics and before the big race begins, you, you get in the starting blocks. You know what I'm talking about, right? You got to get in the starting blocks because you want a good push. Now, this year, <clears throat> there were some countries, small countries, that had individuals uh, who represented their countries who were not Olympic athletes. I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but there was a runner, a young lady, who was not an athlete. I mean, she, uh, by your, your, your definition, my definition, maybe she was, but by the Olympic definition, she really wasn't. And there's, you can look it up and you can see it. It's online. Uh, uh, everyone gets into the starting blocks, and she's standing there like this. Uh, not trained. Uh, she was basically a a late fill-in and whatnot. Needless to say, because she wasn't in the starting block, she started off in a, def in a deficit. And once the, uh, the mark and the, set and the go uh, was engaged, everyone shot out of the starting blocks, and within the first five yards, she was four and a half yards behind, <laughs> right? And so uh, as we get into the scripture today in chapter, in the six and into chapter seven, We've got to get in the starting blocks. And what do I mean by getting in the starting blocks? We've got to understand where we're coming from, right? So we're going to do a quick review uh, and think of it as arming yourself to move forward, right? So uh, uh, in chapter 6 last week, remember, Moses had gone to, to Pharaoh. He had uh, followed the directive of God in, uh, in chapter 5, and things didn't go well, right? Things didn't go well. He came back. He was kind of disheartened. Things just didn't go his, his, you know, his direction, if you will. And so he comes back to God, and he's extremely discouraged. Remember this? And, and you and I sometimes find ourselves in the exact same spot. And uh, 
I'm assuming he went into that situation thinking that I'm going to do what God wants me to do and the doors or the gates are going to open and we're just going to run out like horses at the derby. And and the will of God is just going to run across Egypt, right? And the purpose of God. Well, it doesn't happen like that. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh looks at him and says, absolutely not. We're not letting uh, this lazy populace of people uh, go. It's it's not happening. And uh, so uh, after this experience, he comes back to God and... uh, kind of has a little woe is me moment. Guilty, right? I'm guilty. We've all had a woe is me moment, have we not? Am I the only one? Some of you have had woe is me moments with me. So I know you've had some woe is me moments. I've played golf with you, Kevin, and you've had some woe is me moments, right? And he's played with me and I've had some, and I'm not even going to mention you back here, Dwayne, all right? So I guess I did, didn't I? But uh, uh, he comes back in and he had, had this resistance. And we touched on the fact that deliverance and freedom, spiritual freedom in our lives, spiritual healing in our lives, sometimes is accompanied by some resistance. Matter of fact, 99.9% of the time, anything worth being free for is going to generate some resistance. You know what I'm talking about? And sometimes it's painful. You know, uh, you and I have talked about this, guys, where we talked about sometimes some deep inner healing in our life requires some deep digging into our hearts. And sometimes that deep digging into our hearts is a scary place to go. When we have to start dealing with things that we've experienced in our life, some hardships we've experienced in our life, sometimes we feel like journeying into that is so difficult that I just assume be in bondage. But if we want to be free, many times that is required of us to dig up and resolve some of that stuff that's taken place maybe years, months, maybe even decades ago in our life, right? And we know that. Well, God ends up sending... uh, Moses back, basically, and he's, he gives them a directive. He said, go and, and share this with the, 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 the children of Israel. And so he goes back, and he says to them, this is what God is planning to do. And what the scripture, what the scripture actually says is that the people would not listen to Moses because of their discouragement and the hard labor they were under or the difficult uh, treatment that they were suffering. And remember what we had talked about, what the word discouragement actually means? It was the Hebrew word katsur, and it means short of spirit or shortness of breath. And so they were under a great deal of affliction, a great deal of, of, uh, of, of pressure, and many of you know who have experienced any form of anxiety that's Uh, that's wreaking havoc on your life. Uh, I personally have not experienced this. I confessed this last week. Uh, But I've had friends who have come to me who have experienced anxiety attacks and whatnot, and they typically describe it as uh, one of the symptoms is they feel like they're smothering. They feel like they can't breathe. They feel like they're experiencing some cancer. You see what I'm talking about? And so this is what they were experiencing. And so... That, that goes on, that, that takes place, and uh, they resisted listening to Moses. And then all of a sudden, Moses comes back, I believe it is in uh, verse 9 through verse 12, and he's in one of those woe is me moments again. And out of nowhere, 
the genealogy of uh, the three sons of Jacob, which passes into Moses and, to, and then into the sons of Aaron, is right there in the middle of the text. It's, it's like God just drops it in there. And we talked about that because what it identifies is where Moses and Aaron had come from, where they were at, and where God was taking them. And sometimes when we're discouraged and we think that maybe God has selected or chosen the wrong person for a given task, that being us, that being you, sometimes God wants us to know, I know who you are. I know where you came from. I know where you're at. And I have a plan of where you're going. And sometimes God will make these revelations or give these revelations to us to secure us in the hope of his calling in our lives. You know, God doesn't make those types of mistakes. If God has called you, he knew your issues, right? Regardless of how many you have. He knew those issues when he called you. And so that's where we're at at this moment. Uh, God, uh, the, the genealogy is expressed in chapter 6. And then we find ourselves at the end of Exodus chapter 6, verses 28 and 30. And we're just going to read this. And then I'll just comment on a couple of things and we'll move on into 7. This is what it says as we close this chapter out. Exodus chapter 6, verse 28 and 30. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, now I want you to get this. Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Well, if you go back into verse 12 that I just referenced, he literally says the exact same thing to God once God had given him a directive to go tell them again. If you go back to verses 9 and 12, it says, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me and since I, have, I speak with faltering lips? And then at the end of the chapter, after the genealogy, the, practically the exact same conversation takes place again. God reiterates to him to go deliver this message and Moses responds, since I speak with faltering lips, he leaves out the Israelites application here, but he says, why would Pharaoh listen to me? This is something that you and I need to anchor ourselves in right here in this moment. It seems as though Moses' shortcomings, failures, and deficiencies seem to surface more often than Moses' strengths and his success rate on a spiritual level. You know what I mean? It seems like every time we're turning around, Moses' inadequacies rise to the surface. Yet God does not simply dispose of Moses. And say, you know what, Moses, I'm, I'm tired of hearing the whining, the crying, and the excuse making. Get me somebody else. And you say, well, Trent, what's that application? That's an application of hope for you and hope for me, the king of all whiners. Right? The king of excuse making. Now, you may be able to challenge for the throne of the king of excuse making. I haven't talked to your spouse. But you may very well, and you may be the queen of excuse making. But the good news, even in this short portion of scripture, is the fact that his deficiencies are on the front burner, and God still doesn't dispose of him. Everyone in this sanctuary this morning 
should be tickled to death to know that's not the character of God just to push us off to the side. He still chooses to work his love, his purpose, and his power through people like you and people like me. That in itself, Greg, is an encouraging truth, Jack. And so that's where we find ourselves. And then the Lord responds to Moses, okay? He says, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Beautiful response to God. You know what he's saying right there? He said, I still desire to make myself known and manifest myself through you. You are my vessel. Literally, seconds earlier, he's what? Whining and crying. And God is saying, oh, no, 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 no. I know you've got faltering lips, but you are my vessel to be used. Now listen, God is still desiring and seeking to find people who are willing to be used and pliable in his hands to be a vessel of his, a conduit of his, to express his purpose, his love, and his will on this earth. This isn't something that ends in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, this is a radical truth that we find in the New Testament Scripture. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, let me read this, and you can follow along. Make sure I'm reading it correctly. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, we're talking about deliverance, right? Okay, we'll just move on. And we all, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're all being transformed into into that image. We're all, God is designing all of us, all of us to be a representing force for him and his purpose now, right? What he was doing in the life of Moses and in Aaron isn't something that he's pulled himself away from. He still wants to demonstrate and exhibit this now in the church of this modern age. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says in the New Living Translation. Now listen, I'm not down with the New Living Translation all the time. That's That's not the translation I typically use. But hey man, sometimes man, they get it. Sometimes that translation man really delivers with some umph to it. And this scripture right here is one of them. It says this, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, right? We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. We are that vessel. He's speaking through us. What is he speaking through us? Come back to God. And so he's using Moses. He says to Moses, no, no, you'll be like a God and Aaron will be like your prophet. All right? And then the scripture goes. And he says this. He says this. You are to say everything I command you, even when it's uncomfortable. Speak the truth. Why is that difficult for us to do? You know, we're trying to navigate this culture of political correctness. We're not wanting to offend people. We're not wanting to hurt people. But there's things that are taking place in this culture that on intellectual level, for us to go along with that stuff, there must be an intellectual compromise and a spiritual compromise. There's some things, look man, the rest of the world can buy into a delusion. The rest of the world can buy into lies. The rest of the world, 
It doesn't mean I have to participate in that. And God is saying to Moses and saying to Aaron as well, basically, do everything, say everything that I command you. It is important that it doesn't say and interject your own thoughts as well. I think sometimes we do a disservice to God and the kingdom. We do a disservice to the scripture when we just don't allow the scripture to do the speaking. Like I've got to come behind the scripture and defend it. I've got to protect the God of the universe. He is so fragile that if I don't kind of cater to my audience and share from a different angle so it's more uh, palatable, then they're going to reject it. Who am I to have to stand in the place of, of, of the defense of God in his word? Man, let it speak for itself. Sometimes just lay it out there and let the tree fall. and Let it, let it lay where it lays, right? Let it, just, let it just be there. But many times we'll say something and we'll get a response from someone that's not necessarily uh, articulated or verbalized. You know what I'm talking about? They'll give us that crazy look. You know what I'm talking about? Trent, you really believe a, a dead man rose from the grave three days later? I do believe this. And then they give you this look. And then we feel that pressure. Well, what I really mean is this. No, no, I believe this. Yes. Trent, that's crazy. I don't care. I believe this to be true. I believe there's historical evidence to support the claims that the scriptures claim. More so than some of the things that we hold to be true today. Much more evidence to support the scripture. And so God tells Moses and Aaron to do that very thing. You are to say everything I command you, right? And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, right? Now let me stop there because this is something we've already touched on before, all right? This, this idea of God interjecting himself, hardening an individual's heart, or making his heart calloused, and then holding him responsible for the calloused heart. Well, let, let me explain something really quick here. In, in chapter 4, the first time God says that he's going to harden the heart of Pharaoh, he uses a Hebrew word called kazak, and it means what? To strengthen, meaning the existing condition of the heart of Pharaoh, that being a diametrically opposed to the, the intent of God, God strengthens that. Now, this is a different word right here. This is the word kasha, and it means, to, it, it means to be hard, severe, or fierce. What we're watching take place is the elevation or the decline, if you will, of the heart of Pharaoh against what he perceives to be the arrogant expressions of the Hebrew God in the courts of Pharaoh. So every time this thing resurfaces, there's a hardening or a, 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 a fierceness in the heart of Pharaoh. Now listen, uh, 25 years ago I went to work in Glasgow, Kentucky for a company called at the time Amac Brake, which, is, which was affiliated with Akabono Brake Corporation out of Japan. Well, there was a job that, uh, that I did while I was at uh, Amac Brake. And, uh, they, they, and some of you guys know what this is when I even mention They had a part of a process called a cure oven. Right, Jeff? You know what I'm talking about, a cure oven. And what we would do is we would take these brake pads that had just been formed, and these brake pads, based upon the documentation that we had from the customer, 
uh, these brakes would be loaded on these trays. It was 96 trays. It was uh, 12 trays high, so there'd be 1,152 parts in these carriers. And each of these pads, based on the customer's uh, uh, specs, had to be put under a certain amount of pressure and a certain amount of heat to obtain a certain amount of hardness, right, that would achieve the stopping power that those customers wanted out of that break. Now, the very first day, second day I was there, I destroyed 1,152 brake pads because I heated them and cured them at the wrong temperature. It was the wrong pressure and the wrong temperature. They had different programs, whatnot. I, I incorrectly programmed it. I told the people, they came out, they checked it. They said, well, all these parts are scrap. I said, where do I sign my pink slip? And they said, hey, don't worry about it. You're training. And I was like, <laughs> right, right. But what, what is taking place in that, when those pads come out and we load those pads in this tray, there are certain resins that are in the chemicals, that are in the, the material that the pad is made out of, certain resins, and these resins are activated under certain temperatures and certain pressures. The resins are always present. Now they respond differently to different temperatures and pressures, and so to achieve the desired outcome, you've got to match that resin with this condition. So what happens is once the conditions get right, that existing resin becomes active and the part becomes extremely hard achieving the desired result. What's happening with Pharaoh is there is a spiritual resin in his heart and the conditions that God is putting forth for the liberation of his sons and daughters in Israel activates this spiritual resin that creates in his heart a hostility towards the thing of God, which creates what? The hardness of his heart. It isn't God who places the resin in his heart. It is his response. That spiritual, are you following me? That existing fabric that is in his being, that when he sees the move of God, that he perceives to be arrogant and an affront to his own pride, it elevates, it activates, and he becomes hostile. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will activate the resin. That's what he's saying. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Hmm. What he says is, I'm going to put forth some convincing efforts that will be rejected. Uh, he says it right here. He says it right here. He said, although I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And we're like, Pharaoh, you're a fool, right? We look at Pharaoh and we think, you, you're flat crazy. You see all these signs and wonders and you still reject God? You get what you, you're going to get what you got coming. But we need to slow down because there's many things we have seen. There are many things that God has spoken to us. There are many things that God has exposed us to. There are many things that God has revealed to us. And much like Pharaoh, in light of the signs and wonders and the miraculous working of God's power in our life, what do we do often? We resist him and we fail to listen to him. 
We are more, listen, we are more like Pharaoh than we are like Moses. It is funny how we elevate ourselves into the context of all scripture as seeing ourselves as God's advocate and God's hero when in fact more times than not we're actually the opposite character. We're never really David. You know that, right? Right? We're never really Peter walking on the water. That's not who we are. We're typically the Peter who's denying. That's who we really are. But we want to look at ourselves as the sling thrower, the stone thrower, the giant killer. When in fact many times we're just the giant. A giant in our own world, a giant in our own mind. And you know what happens? You know what comes after they resist the signs and wonders? What typically comes in my life too. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. No, no outs, right? God has shown us things. God has exposed us. God has given us truth. So on the flip side of that, there will be a level of accountability. We're culpable, right? And what comes with culpability in the rejection of truth is Judgment, the, out, the, the repercussions. Have any of you suffered repercussions where you've resisted the knowledge and the truth of God and you said, I think I can do this better? God ever given you some directions on something? You're like, eh, eh, pass. I'm going to show God how this is really done. Six weeks later, you're like, I'm sorry, God. Sorry, I need a new job, new wife, and new family now. Right? I don't ruin everything. Right? Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and will bring the Israelites out of it. I love this. I love this. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. <laughs> Did just as the Lord commanded them. What they're about to experience, this unraveling of Egypt, this demonstration of God's power, isn't experienced on the bench contemplating obedience. It's experienced because it's directly connected to their obedience, right? The experience that they have is connected because they get off the bench and they do what the Lord commanded. Some of us sometimes in our lives, you know, we're waiting for God to do something miraculous. We're waiting for God to move. We're waiting. And man, we're, we're spectators, man. We're not, even, we're not even in the front row, man. We're up in like the, we're the nosebleed section, watching from afar. You know what I mean? Not even contemplating. We can't even get a smell of the floor. And we're wondering, well, why ain't God working in my life like he's working in the people's lives that are in the game? Why ain't I making shots for the kingdom? Are you taking them? Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. 
Man, I can comment on every piece of scripture and say, you know, age isn't a qualifying element, right, to being used by God. Anybody over 50, I'll say, yes, amen. Anybody young, I'll say, amen. And anybody in between, amen. I will not be confined or elevated or promoted because of or in spite of. Moses, 80 years old. Joker should have been tapping into his 401k, his social security. Right? Instead, man, he's about to engage in the time of his, don't make me sing, time of my life. That's what he's about to engage in. I love what 1 Timothy Paul says to young Timothy, the preacher, young pastor. Chapter 4, verse 12, we know this, don't we? Well, it's up there. You can act like you know it. You can read it with me. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Let me say this, and this is paraphrased, and I'm not taking liberty to distort the scripture. I'm just saying there's an application on both sides of this. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're old. Your time's not over. The application goes both ways. The reason it's not in the scripture right there is because that wasn't something that was actually in play. The older people were revered and honored. The elders were. And there was, there was maybe a, a, a crooked eye, a stink eye turned towards those who were new and young in the faith. It wasn't as though Timothy was just a 15-year-old kid. He was a man, a grown man. But in the eyes of everyone, he hadn't yet reached that age where he should be in, in a position of leadership. Yet Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And this is what he says. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Moses, 80, Aaron, 83 years old. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff, that being Moses' staff, and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of little insight. Now, I, you know, there's different theologians who have different takes on this. The word snake there isn't the word that you and I would think of as, you know, of a cobra. It literally means reptile, and it could be a large reptile. And considering that alligators, crocodiles as such, uh, were prominent in that area, remember, they were throwing them into the Nile, the babies, right, being consumed. Many theologians think it wasn't a snake that the staff actually uh, turned into, but it may have turned into a crocodile, which explains the consumption of the others, who may have turned into a snake. But we'll stick with snakes so you don't go home confused. All right? We'll keep the party line. I don't want to push you out there too far where you're going home thinking, that Trent's a heretic. <laughs> he says, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a crocodile or snake. <laughs> so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Now what is implied right here? Do you remember what God had said to him? When Pharaoh asked for a miracle, this is what you're to do. So they go in there and they end up doing that, implying what? That Pharaoh asked for a miracle. Believe me, they didn't go in there just casting staffs around. I mean, I believe 
when they entered into that arena, into the courts of Pharaoh, they were waiting for what God said. And what God said was when he asked for a sign or a miracle, then do it. But I believe they were ready to do it. And I believe the scripture implies then because of their response that that's exactly what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh asked for a miracle. A little commentary here. You know what the world's asking of us? They're asking for a sign. They're asking for legitimacy. They're, asking, they're not asking us to be perfect. You know what the world is asking the Christian church for today? Just be who you say you are. Amen. Be who you say you are. They want to see. They want to see. And what Aaron does is he takes the staff a moment, he throws it onto the ground, and it becomes a reptile of sort. Right? The world wants to know what do we look like when we hit the ground. What happens when the rubber meets the road? What do I look like? How do I act? How do I respond when I find myself on the same dirty floors that they live in and they experience? They want to know, is there really any substance to who I am and the claims that I make? The world is just wanting to check us out. And because they're unbelievers, foreign and strange to Yahweh, Jehovah God of the Old Testament, the Father of Jesus, because they are strangers, they have the right to say, and you must understand them inquiring, then show me something. And that's what they're saying. When we got pastors falling away left and right, church leaders caught in affairs and financial wrongdoings, the whole world is looking around and saying, just show me something real. Show me a man who says this and walks that. That's all I want to see. Man, when I worked in that plant for 25 years, Reuben, I could do little things that you and I do as followers of Jesus that most people would think were nothing. And man, the non-believers around me would be like, man, you're awesome. Stinking, I didn't have to go in there and feed 500 people with a can of tuna fish and a loaf of sunbeam bread to get there. Man, you just treat somebody decent. You treat somebody kind. And they're like, my goodness. The power of God's on Trent. Why? Well, he didn't lie to his boss. He was kind to his co-worker. He bought him a soda pot. Shared his hundred grand candy bar. Gave him part of his M&M's. Man, is he generous. We think the world's looking for us to move mountains. The world's just looking for us to be real. Reuben, real. Just real. (sighs) 
Aaron then threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. And Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians. Now, you say that five times fast. Egyptian magicians. We'll just call them, in the words of, I think it's Rich Jones who calls them magicians. We'll just call them magicians. Yeah, magicians. You know, because that's what ended up happening. If I said Egyptian, <laughs> if I said Egyptian magicians five times, I'm telling you, it's going to become magicians. So he calls in the magicians and the sorcerers, who also did the same things by their secret arts. The word sorcerers right here is the Hebrew word kashaf, which means to practice sorcery. Right now, this wasn't just a sleight of hand. I don't believe that. Some people will say, oh, yeah, man, they got some David Copperfield going on. You know, they got David Blaine, you know, the floating guy. You know what? They've got, da- you know, that's what they were doing. Well, the reality, I believe, what the scripture would teach was they were embellishing some dark arts, man. Listen, if you believe in the scripture and you believe in a supernatural and you discount that there's an enemy and there's an adversary out there, who works, the scripture clearly teaches this in the last days, man, the Antichrist, the agents of his kingdom, the agents of his forces, will demonstrate and do wonders and signs and will deceive many. And if you think that there's not an angle by which you can incorporate uh, some of the dark stuff that takes place in spiritual realms to influence and distort the truth, man, you're, you're halfway in, halfway out. This stuff is legit. I don't care if you're reformed with John MacArthur or I, I don't care if you're on the other side of it with Jack Hayford at Foursquare. I don't care which end of the spectrum you find yourself. If you dismiss the spiritual, the spiritual influences that are at work in this world, man, you've, you've about halfway lost this battle. Do you remember Manasseh, the king of Judah? Remember the son of the godly king Hezekiah? Remember he become king, I think he was 12 years old? There's something wrong when your king is 12, right? All right? What was he into? What, what does the scripture, 2 Kings 21, 6, said he sacrificed his own son in fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing God's anger against him. He was dabbling in some dark stuff. King Saul, remember, when Samuel's gone, he ends up going to the witch of Endor who practiced necromancy, communicating with the dead. Saul, or Samuel comes back and says, man, what is this you've done? This type of activity, understanding you're literally on the opposite side. of You've become an enemy of God is what he says to Saul. And part of it had to do with him enlisting dark spiritual aids in his pursuit of power. This isn't, let me say, what we're reading here isn't really a conflict between Moses and Pharaoh. This is a conflict between God and our adversary. And you know what the scripture says? 1 Peter 5, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil. That's, I'm not the one. That's what the scripture says. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
Ephesians 4.12 says this, right? Or, or is it 6.12? 6, 6.12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Right? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places or heavenly realms. That's who the battle's with. And I believe these cats incorporated some of these, these uh, 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 forces that enable them to some degree to try to checkmate the actions of God on behalf of Moses and Aaron. Now you can imagine this, right? Boom, snake, reptile, crocodile, whatever it is, they do the same thing. Now if you're Moses and Aaron and you witness this, and you felt the momentum of God in your favor when your staff become a reptile, and all of a sudden you see now multiple reptiles, you may want to take a step back. That could be a discouraging experience, right? Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. You know, you've watched, how many of you have seen the DreamWorks Prince of Egypt? Everybody, raise your hand if you've seen the Prince of Egypt. All right, the rest of you need to be saved. <laughs> right? Okay. Came out several years ago. There's a beautiful de uh, depiction of this scene, right? You see Moses, I don't know how Moses' beard was still relatively dark in this, this animated depiction of this movie, but it's a beautiful scene. Uh, the staff becomes a, a, a viper. And then all the, the sorcerers and wise men, uh, theirs become uh, uh, multiple vipers. Now you don't see it, but what, you, what they depict is a shadowy silhouette, remember this, of the, 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 the viper of God consuming the smaller vipers of the sorcerer and the wise men. And you see the little snakes going into the snake that represented Moses. You remember this? You can only imagine the first bite. Right? You see, let's just throw a number out there. We're going to go with, let's say, five, six, not enough, ten. Snakes, reptiles. Can you imagine as they're slithering around right there, Aaron and Moses stepping back, not really sure how to respond to this and all of a sudden, they don't even have to respond, do they? Because God's agent begins to consume the agents of the enemy, right? At that point, there's no need to clarify anything. Because within a matter of a few moments, not only are they snakeless, but they're staffless too. Because he ends up picking up the staff Right? The, by the time it becomes what? A staff? Not just a staff. I believe it was a fatter staff, a thicker staff, a stronger staff, having already consumed. I bet when they put their head around that staff over there, they're like, oh, oh. I carry a thing like this. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, and we're closing right here. 
Literally, we are closing last verse. This is it. And I know some of you are thinking, it's only been 45 minutes, Trent. You're normally just getting started. No laughter, because you know I'm serious. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. You see the resin? Where are our staffs? Can you see him looking at the wise men and the sorcerers? Get more staffs. You can see that, right? That resin heating up in his heart, right? The hardening taking place. Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen. I pray your heart never becomes hard. Oh, God, remove the calloused resin in our hearts, in our spirits, that we would never, ever respond to you as though we are strangers, foreigners. They would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. I love, uh, I love this image of God swallowing up, God's swallowing up the enemy. You see, we're encroaching upon the 17th of April, that being Easter, right? The most holy of all days is within the Christian faith, right? We celebrate the triumph of our king who rises on the third day from a tomb to set you free, to set me free. God in the Old Testament with a snake in his power, he swallowed up the enemy right there before Pharaoh, swallowed them up. Do you know what God is still doing for you and for me? He's swallowing up the enemy. This is what the scripture says, and we're going to close and we're going to have communion this morning. But I want you to understand that God is about the business of swallowing up the things that oppose us, that discourages us, that wreaks fear into our hearts and minds. God is about devouring that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54 says this. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Read that. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Can you imagine that? Can you see that? Do you know who swallowed it up? The snake crusher. The snake crusher. I could do a little Pentecostal jig. The snake crusher, man. power of God to devour and there he is in Jesus the snake crusher taking a look at death and consuming it 
for you and consuming it for me. So when that time comes for you and me, when we will exchange the perishable for the imperishable and the mortal for the immortal, we can exchange that clothing with a confidence that death has been consumed and we need not fear. This is literally the message of Easter. And we're sliding right into it. How sweet it is when the continuity of the scripture remains intact and it is so fluid that the fabric of it is so beautifully woven through every word written and it connects it all. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to ask the elders to come. I believe we're only going to need two if I could have you. Yeah, come on up, God, this Terry. And we're going to take communion this morning. I'm going to ask Carrie. I was going to ask Carrie. She, she's way ahead of me. I just need one of those, if you will. All right. Each one of these, this is pretty simple. There's actually two cups here, okay, guys? So when you come up to get the elements, understand there's a cup with the wine, or if you're offended by that, with the juice, right? And the second cup will have the, the bread. So just come up if you will, just grab your cup and then you can be seated. And then we'll take communion together, okay? This is how we do it here at the Driven Church. First of all, let me say to you, I don't care if you're a member of this church or not. We don't even have membership. I don't, I don't care if you're a visitor. I don't care. If you are in Jesus, you have every right to partake of what it is that we're sharing this morning in as much as I have that right. So what we're going to do this morning, this is how it works. Everyone who is in Jesus, whether you're a visitor or not, you are welcome. Matter of fact, I would encourage you. What we're going to do, we're going to start on the front rows on the outside first. Okay, guys? And what we do is we'll, first row, second row, we'll just follow suit. You'll go to the back and you'll come down. You'll get the elements and then you'll just return right to your seat. After the last row is gone, then we'll start in the front rows and we'll work our way around. Is everybody on the same page? You know, this ain't spaghetti junction. We can work this out. You know, okay? Is everybody, everybody understand where we're at? If you're a visitor and you're like, man, I'm not sure, just follow the person in front of you, right, right? And I, if I see you getting out of line, I'll correct you, right? So what we're going to do, we're going to start over here, and we're going to come. Go ahead, guys, if you will. <laughs> 